It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 087-660-40-237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Thursday morning, the 18th of August. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. We're a little over a month out from Budget Day on the 27th of September. Negotiations over how the 6.7 billion euro package will be divided up intensify. Expectations are high for workers who will be looking to take home more of their earnings by paying less in tax. Additional income to offset inflation will be gobbled up though quickly as the cost of living soars and pressure mounts on everyone, but all the more so on people who have fixed incomes. I'm confident that we will see a welfare package in September uh, that is bigger than the one uh, that we saw in the last budget. It'll need to be because of the cost of living. It's not right for me at the moment to speculate on exact numbers um, because uh, in the end of the day the budget has to add up uh, and there are competing priorities. Uh, We want to reduce uh, the burden of tax uh, on working people. We want to increase pensions and welfare. We also want to spend more money on housing and healthcare and education and we want to do all that without having to borrow. Uh, Leo Bradker speaking in the last few weeks about uh, the upcoming budget and as he said there should be a significant increase in welfare but there are different types of welfare recipients. Pensioners, for example, who have contributed over their working life to a benefit in old age. That's one type of welfare recipient. Uh, Another type then is uh, those layabouts. Uh, At least that would appear to be the view in some Fine Gael quarters. And the Irish Independent is reporting today that there's a pushback from certain sectors in Fine Gael to seeing uh, an increase in unemployment rates and let's speak uh, to Philip Ryan who's uh, the political editor of the Irish Independent and uh, the Sunday Independent and good morning to you Philip and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. You're uh, describing this as red meat to the Fine Gael base in the paper this morning. You say the people who get up early in the morning and who believe anyone else who doesn't is a layabout. Mm, well look this is this is um, a proposal, or not, not even a proposal, this is the kind of a mood within Fine Gael, within the senior ranks of the party, that 
We could look at that two, in two ways. One, we have the cost of living crisis, of course, and everybody's uh, uh, wages and cost of living is in, being impacted. All your bills are going up, uh, you're shopping, whether you're paying for electricity, no matter what it is. And then on the other side it is, as I was writing in today's piece, is that no matter where you're walking, I'm sure in many of the places around Loud and Mead, that there's many, many businesses, no matter if it's a, a clothes shop or a restaurant, a bar, whatever, it, crying out for staff, looking for staff wanted to to take up positions in their businesses. And, and that's a big problem as well. So the, uh, the, the Fine Gael view is that they don't want to put in place anything that would discourage people from getting up and going out and seeing, knocking on the door of that where that staff wanted sign is and putting themselves forward for that job. Now, you could also look at that in the other way is those a lot of those jobs aren't going to be paying very well. And that, that that's a similar problem across the world that at some of those people facing jobs, whether it be in hospitality or retail, they just don't pay that well because mm. um, the, the businesses are trying to turn a profit themselves uh, and the, the skills the, is not as huge of skill set needed to, to do those jobs. Okay, uh, but what's the problem there? Is, is that the pay is too low or that the uh, dole is too high? I'd say that, that that's the fear in Fine Gael, that it could go up too high, that you would discourage anyone who is considering going that way. I, I, I don't think at the current rate of €208 Euros a week, you're going to get very far on the dole um, if you're trying to make ends meet, if you're, if you're supporting yourself, maybe if you're living at home with your parents or something like that. It's a nice little bit of pocket money, but even in that regard, it's not a whole lot of money when you you look at mm. the cost of getting by in in today's society. Okay, and you spell out the employment opportunities, if you like, in the Irish Independent today. Uh, one of uh, the lowest unemployment rates ever in the history of uh, the state at four point two percent, one hundred nineteen thousand people unemployed. And you quote Mason Hayes and Curran, uh, who have said that thirty percent of businesses are looking for sure for looking for staff. Yeah, or at least they're concerned that, that that's what's going to be the biggest problem for them for the coming year. So that's one in three businesses out there going like, well, how I can keep my, I have my stock, I have um, my supplies, but I've no one to sell it for me. Or I can't, you've, you've probably seen it yourself with pubs and restaurants, uh, reducing the number of hours they open. There's a lot of places now that will only operate, especially in the restaurant hospitality sector, go from Thursday to Sunday and will open Monday through to Wednesday because they just don't have people to, to fill the positions. And and, and this is uh, across the country. So and like, uh, I'm not sure, like 119,000 people, according to the Central Statistics Office figures, is, is the amount that are currently unemployed. Um, and, and like I was saying in the piece, that, like, look, a lot of people have a reason for that too. It's, it's not that that everyone's sitting there saying, I don't want to get up and work. But like there, there yeah. are some who are doing that similarly. So look, that, that's what's been taken into account. That, that's where kind of the, the battle lines have been drawn between Fianna Gael possibly and Fianna Fáil and, and the Green Party, who are both in tandem seem to believe that it, 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 it should go up in the budget in, in line with all the other welfare payments. Okay, 15 euro, is it? Is that the only option? Uh, because everybody else, all, all the groups advocating uh, for uh, the different uh, sectors receiving welfare payments seem to be seeing, saying 20 euro, if not 23 euro, to stand still. Yeah, look, this is the, the government have kind of become a bit of a hostage to fortune on this one because last week they published their tax strategy papers which are which outline the various options that they have ahead of the budget. It doesn't say these are the measures but generally speaking the, those papers do give you an indication of where the thinking is at and the two main options they seem to be looking at was either a 15 euro increase which there was a lot of emphasis in the documents on or a 10 euro increase 
in the in the main core um, payments, and then changes about by about five euros to things like the the, the single parent payments and, and and other various qualified children payments and qualified adult payments and and those things, adding those up as well to give people a little bit more. Of course, they're the options, and I think uh, the public at this stage will be a little bit disappointed if they don't see a very significant increase in their welfare payments. Okay, and what's the fear in Fine Gael? Is it that middle-income earners uh, will get less uh, in tax breaks? They'll be taking home uh, less in the extra that they're taking home, if you like, than the increase in welfare if they were to go with that €15 of an increase for people who are unemployed? Well, I, I think it's fair to say we're going to see a very significant tax package in the in the in the budget as well, because they're talking about a billion euros worth of tax credit or tax cuts and, and various changes mm. to tax credits, and, and and that's as big as we've seen in, in many many years. It's generally the tax package is around the five hundred million mark, and this is a near doubling of it, which we'll see, which gives them space to, to, to make very big changes, most likely around indexation. So. They'll widen the bands for when you can enter the top rate to 40% of tax, so you can hold on a little bit more of your money before you have to pay that rate. That is, that's most likely to happen, this 30% rate that Leo Bradker has been uh, agitating about. That's very unlikely. I don't think that's going to be happening this time around, mm. um, if ever. And, and so I think there will be space to do that. Um, I'm not sure they're comparing like with like. They have in recent budgets they wanted the tax cuts to kind of add up to the similar amount that people are getting in their welfare payments. But when you see the size of the package, so they're going to have the, the $1 billion for um, the tax measures, and then there's the $2.7 billion for um, various spending measures, which includes welfare, but also includes the public sector pay deal, which, was, which will be uh, agreed presumably in the next couple of weeks. So I think there'll be, it'll be a very expansive budget and something for everybody. Mm. Whether it'll be enough remains to be seen. And that 30% rate uh, would appeal uh, most of all to middle-income earners, wouldn't it? And uh, perhaps uh, that's why uh, Leo Bradker has been pushing it so hard. As you say, uh, they're shifting away from being a party for all to being one for Middle Ireland. And I, I take it, if you're right in that assessment, uh, they're not as interested, at least, in lower-income earners or the unemployed as they are their target audience, the Fine Gael constituency, if you like? Well, this is the thing, and this is because the, the political field, the political options to people is quite crowded at the moment. So um, if you're a voter, a uh, middle-income or a, a low-income voter, if you're, if you're an unemployed voter and you're claiming welfare, you generally aren't speaking or aren't voting for Fine Gael. And I think Fine Gael have come to accept that, that, look, this is a... This is a section of society that um, believes um, that we're not out. We're out to get them, and and look, that that might be painted unfairly too. And it's, a lot of it is coming from opposition rhetoric. But when it comes down to the the brass brass or the, the bread and butter issues of trying to get elected, they want to find the biggest amount of voters who who can support them. Mm. And because everything has shifted uh, quite um, radically between left and right in this country, like in many other countries. Fine Gael are kind of positioning themselves as that centre-right party who appeal to, to the, the, working, the, the working working classes and the, the middle classes out there who, 
who believe that, the, like, like Fianna Gael has been saying, uh, pay for everything and get nothing um, from the government. OK, well, you have to cut your cloth to suit your measure and you, you can mm. o- o- only uh, buy uh, or, or pay for what you have uh, enough money uh, to spend on. And that's, I suppose, uh, part of uh, the calculation. Uh, the tax strategy group were talking about 1.2 billion, I think, if you were to increase welfare rates by mm. 15 euro. Uh, and I think the calculation is it would be one and a half a billion instead of 1.2 if you were to increase it by 20 uh, euro a, a week. Uh, could it be that uh, unemployed rates will increase by 10 euro, let's say, and maybe the pensions and disability and some of these other welfare rates would increase by 20? You see, I, I, I don't know that it will come down like that. I, I think when you have, you have the, the like Fianna Fáil and, and the Green Party are still in the government as well, they're still the coalition party, so they're going to have a say. And there's very much a view in those parties that everybody should be treated equally, that the, the cost of living uh, pressures, the inflate, record levels of inflation, they're, they're hitting everybody the same. Um, granted, some people have more money than others, but if you are solely relying on job seekers' uh, benefit or allowance to, to get you through the week, your costs are just as, as high as anyone else and your income is a lot lower. So mm. I think it would be seen as quite unfair to, to put up everybody else's at one rate and then do the, the job seekers at a, at a different lower rate. OK, well, they'd be uh, those people who are, are claiming job seekers would be far happier if uh, the Greens were in government with Sinn Féin, uh, I think, than with Fine Gael, uh, because both parties uh, have said uh, that uh, the rate should increase by €50. Euro. Yeah, well, this is the thing. The, the, the Green Party's Joe Bryan suggested last year, actually, that a 50-euro increase was almost needed in the, in the welfare, or the, the job seekers' race. Um, and in their submission to the Taxation and Welfare Commission, or Sinn Féin, rather, um, suggested it should also go up by, by 50-euro. They tried to walk away from that um, in recent times for some, some strange reason. And they're, they're planning to put out their own um, alternative budgets uh, next week, I believe, or the week after. So I don't suspect that it'll have the 50 euro rate increase in that. Um, but, but we'll have to wait and see. OK. Will the Green Party insist on carbon taxes being increased? I think, look, that's in law at the moment. That, mm. That's kind of signed off on three years ago. So it'll be a very hard push to, to change that. I think it, you might see it in the same way as it was done this year, that they don't come in until May and to uh, ease the burden through the, the, the winter period where people are using more fuel and um, heat their homes and so on. But um, look, that, that's kind of a staple of public life now at the moment. And um, we're just going to have to get used to it, even though it, it seems they spend more time trying to offset the cost than the actual cost of the thing. So, um, yeah, look, I think that one's going to be in the budget. OK, uh, how do you think the budget is going to be received based on what you're hearing? Uh, would, would it be off the wall to say everybody's going to be somewhat happy, feeling very relieved in September and in October when perhaps there's going to be double welfare payments like the Christmas bonus, uh, in, in addition to the Christmas bonus and some of the other measures and the one-off measures uh, that will uh, come alongside the €6.7 billion. Euro. But while we may be happy in September, October, uh, we'll be wondering where all our money went come February, March. Yeah, look, in, in recent years, people are, have gotten used to receiving something from the, the government in the budget that there is, whether it be an increase in your wealth or whether it be a tax cut. That's kind of become the, the norm, let's say. So, and in, in those years, inflation wasn't skyrocketing. You weren't seeing prices increase. Uh, you weren't seeing your paying nearly two euro for petrol and diesel. Those things weren't in place. 
So people were appreciative to some regard. They weren't saying it was solving all society's woes. This year, people are seeing those bills coming into the into their houses. They're seeing in shops when they go spend money, the amount um, they'd have to hand over. And a lot of those tax receipts that we've seen come in is because people are having to pay extra tax on top of the things that they're, they're paying for. Um, it's not just the multinational. So the government is under some bit of a pressure to give back some of that tax that they've created over uh, throughout this period of inflation. Uh, and, and like I said, uh, not to be reusing the cliche, mm. but look, it remains to be seen if people are going to be uh, appreciative or not, of, or if it will even make a difference to them okay. when we come into the winter. All right, well, it's only around the corner, really, at this stage, uh, although uh, I think it's far from being uh, agreed uh, at the same time. Philip, thank you indeed uh, for giving us some insight uh, to the disputes uh, or, or the negotiations uh, that are ongoing. And thanks for joining us on the programme as well. Philip Bryan is political editor with uh, the Irish Independent and the Sunday Independent. Now, the first comment of uh, the day comes to us from Raid Andrade about uh, the budget. And she says, I, I think given the dramatic and worrying rise in the cost of living, that the government is going to have to give something to everybody in this budget in the interest of fairness. What puzzles me, she says, is that nobody in opposition is really pushing for the USC to be abolished. Just wondering why is that? And uh, she's making the point that it was meant to be a temporary measure and we've been penalised with uh, this unjust tax for long enough. The Green Party needs to look at the overall financial climate and how people wouldn't necessarily have struggled are now finding it hard to make ends meet because of inflation. Well, thanks, Mireille, as I say, for the first comment of the programme into us uh, today. Uh, as always, uh, if you're listening, you have thoughts on the budget or anything else for that matter, we'd love to hear from you. Michael Reed on LMFM. As you heard earlier this week, Declan Power from Dromiskin was sentenced to two years and four months in prison in a court in Exeter. The 58-year-old from Louth had travelled to, to the UK with the intention of having sex with a 13-year-old girl while her mother was at work and then to abduct this young girl and bring her back to his home in County Loud uh, where he planned uh, to uh, have a life with her, of all things. Uh, it didn't work out, uh, obviously, for Power uh, because uh, he's now serving that prison sentence. Uh, and uh, this was because he was lured to the UK by paedophile hunters. Uh, and let's listen just briefly once again to a little bit of that encounterment uh, when Power met uh, with the man we're about to speak to, Harry Taylor. What were your intentions for this child? Bring her over to Ireland, that's all. Bring her over to Ireland and do what? Have her as a girlfriend. Have her as a girlfriend? What, a child? She's only just become a teenager. Harry Taylor from Secrets and Lies Confronted. A a very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. Would it be right to to describe you as a paedophile hunter? No, I mean, um, I listened to your show the other day and um, there was a term that used term that was used that was uh, quite wrong actually um we aren't vigilantes we're not uh, pedophile hunters um that term is actually very hurtful to uh, the volunteers of these teams um a majority of whom themselves have actually been abused as children um they work tirelessly day and night to protect children from the same fate that they face as a child themselves um we're actually an online 
child protection team, that's what we call ourselves, um, that also safeguards real children and vulnerable adults. And contrary to what everyone thinks, we don't always sting. Um, We also hand over safeguarding issues to the police. Um, We actually work very closely with the police in the UK. Um, We apprehend the pred, then hand over all the evidence for the police to investigate. And in an actual fact, Michael, the police actually thank us. Um, take the notice of the bad press. We get the top bosses that just towing the PC line from Westminster, West, Westminster basically. Um, there's countless teams up and down the UK um, working tirelessly to protect children. Yeah. We don't get any we don't get any financial reward. It actually costs us money to do this. Um, I'm sure, because uh, it's uh, quite uh, elaborate. Uh, and I have to say, I was quite fascinated by it. Uh, I, I watched uh, the video of when you apprehended uh, Declan Parr because uh, it was very obvious, and it should be very obvious to anyone who watches that video, uh, that you were working with the police. You were communicating with the police throughout, uh, and uh, then uh, the police uh, arrived and uh, arrested uh, Declan Parr and the evidence that you had gathered uh, was used, as I understand it, to, to help secure a conviction against him. And you had a, a lot of evidence. I heard you say you had a, a, a thousand screenshots, uh, which were. Yeah, uh, yes. yeah, I had a thousand screenshots of this conversation. Um, Mr. Power was actually keeping me informed all the way through of his intentions to abduct this child um, and rape her. Um, he, had, he even sent me pictures of the high fence that he was building around his land so um, this child wouldn't be spotted and uh, the police wouldn't be informed. So the intent mm. there was absolutely massive on uh, that person, that man's behalf. Um, well, that's just a, a few miles uh, from the studio I'm sitting in this morning and uh, his neighbours are, are, are listening to you now. Uh, undoubtedly, Harry, uh, tell us a, a little bit about the fence. It's not something I've seen. How high is it? Um, it looked to me in the pictures, it was about, I would say, about 12, 14 foot high. Um, he actually built a fence on top of a fence. Um, and he actually told this um, child it was uh, to stop her being detected. And um, in his words, so she could walk around naked in the garden in his house. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, one sick beast. His wife, his 13-year-old wife, or he, at least he had intentions to marry this girl, or at least that's what he was saying. Yes, yes. Um, he actually said to the child that um, he was going to change all the documentation um, and when she was 16, after oh, she'd be living with him for three years, he was going to actually marry her and he was going to get one of his mates to pose as her father and write to the registry office so they could actually get married. Mm. I mean, that's how that's how much detail and planning this man went into. You know, it was, it was absolutely horrifying to think that an adult can actually think that is acceptable. Mm. It was absolutely horrifying, you know. And I, I mean, the best way mm. the best way to stop these people is um, to actually hand out tougher sentences. I mean, two years, four months of. Uh, and horrific crime like that. I mean, that judge that handed that down, I mean, in my opinion, mm. he should be hanging his head in, in shame, really. It's an absolute disgrace of a sentence, you know. And while these judges keep handing out these pathetic sentences, it's just going to carry on and carry on and carry on. 
the only way we can put a dent in this explosion of paedophilia online is to hand down tougher sentences. That's the only deterrent that we've got. Mm. It's amazing work that you do. Uh, apologies for calling you vigilantes, uh, but uh, in this jurisdiction, I think if you're not licensed uh, to carry out police investigative work uh, such as this uh, you'd be looked on as vigilantes I think you have a different relationship uh, with uh, the police in the United Kingdom than a, a group like yours would have here with uh, the police on Garda Shia Kona uh, 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 and it's obviously invaluable work uh, that you do uh, can, can you tell me a little bit more about Declan Parr because I think a lot of people locally here will be worried at the idea that he, he would have tried to abduct a 13-year-old girl, had sex with a 13-year-old girl. You were saying that the members of your group all have experienced themselves, or a lot of them have experienced of child sexual abuse themselves, and they know the damage that can be done to people, and they're trying to stop that from happening to somebody else. And when you abducted Declan Power, you found condoms in his bag, uh, that spoke for itself. Uh, and I, I know from listening to what you were saying to him during the video, you, you felt that there was no question about his intentions when you found the condoms. Oh, no, there was no question at all. The intent was massive. I mean, this this I've been chatting to this man for, what, six, seven weeks. And as I say, he, he, just, he just told me uh, what he was planning every step of the way. He actually told me he was bringing condoms with him. Um, because I was too young to get pregnant at the moment, but he wanted babies when I was uh, when when this girl was sixteen. So the intent was absolutely massive, which is why he was um, jailed in record time. Really, mm. he was uh, remanded and sentenced and jailed. And as I say, that sentence um, it's a, it's a kind of a slap in the face for everything that we stand for. Everything that we do is about time that. Um, the powers that be in this country woke up and um, actually started protecting children and working with us, you know, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he wasn't intending to meet this girl and bring her back to Ireland and then have sex with her. Uh, he wanted to do that as soon as he arrived in the UK, which oh, is where yes. he brought the condoms. Uh, and you told uh, Declan Power, because he believed you were the girl, you told this man that your mother would be out working so that he could come to the house. Yes, yes. Well, um, I didn't. I, I didn't tell him that. So I just said that my mum worked shifts, you know, things yeah. like that. And he said, "Oh, well, I can come to your house then, um, have have sex with you at night, and then when your mum gets home in the morning, then we can go out for the day and go back again." You know, so mm. yeah. I mean, it was absolutely horrific, Michael. It was just. Uh, I think it's the worst one I've had, and I've done a few. I've done quite mm. a lot, you know. This was the worst one to actually want to abduct a child, take her away from a family and uh, go and live in a strange country with him, you know. And he said he had never done anything like this before. Uh, he never had feelings for children before uh, when he was speaking to you. They all say that. They all, they all say that. They all say that. Um, but the truth will come out because what happens is, um, in this country anyway, um, it's called a Section 18, all his devices will have been seized um, that are connected to the internet. His phone will have been seized and downloaded. So any indecent images or any conversations with other children, be it decoys or real children, um, the, pe- the, the police would have uh, found that out anyway. So yeah. there's no point in these people lying because we gather. We gather 
every bit of evidence there is, you know. So we are, every team in the UK is a professional team um, and they all work closely with the police. Hmm. So if they all say that, and it's not true, uh, when you're talking about somebody like Declan Power, who's at the highest end of the scale that you've ever encountered, uh, maybe we'll hear a little bit more about uh, all of uh, the people uh, that you've brought to justice uh, in a few moments, uh, but there's been quite a, a few. Uh, if he's at the highest end of the scale, it would be very unlikely that he hasn't had some sort of involvement with children previously. Likely, would you say, uh, that uh, he's been looking at pornographic images or abusing children or something like that? Yes, I would be absolutely amazed if he hasn't been. Yeah, I would be absolutely amazed if he hasn't been speaking to other children. Um, most of them do. Most of them do. But um, as I say, once his phone's downloaded, once his phone has been downloaded, he will get sussed out. You know. So, mm. yeah, they they all say they're not. They yeah. all say they're not attracted to children. But he's actually turned up here to have sex with a child. So he must be attracted to children. I mean, there's there's no argument on that one. Building a fence to keep it secret. Uh, He used a pseudonym uh, to cover his tracks on the internet. Yes, he did. He did. He used the name um, Simon Templar on the internet. um, But he actually gave me his... Once once I had um, gained his trust, he actually gave me his real name and... uh, he might have called himself Simon Templer, but he was hardly the saint, um, uh, quite <laughs> e- e- evil man, uh, quite obviously, uh, if he was going to uh, abduct a, a child like this. Uh, and it's possible uh, that the story, if you like, uh, that we're telling this morning, which follows uh, your investigation, uh, him being brought to justice uh, and the sentence, uh, will prompt somebody listening to us this morning, given that he's been living in our, our midst for all of these years, uh, to look back on any interaction that they've had or their children have had with this man in, in recent times. Yeah, I mean that's right. That's what usually happens, isn't it? When it when when things like this come out, um, other victims usually come forward, or other evidence usually arises. Um, let's hope that if anyone is listening to this and they haven't had any interactions with this man, that they actually come forward and um, speak up because, as I say, I'll be absolutely amazed if he hasn't done this in the past. Harry, tell me about Secrets and Lies. Uh, You uh, told us a a little bit about the people involved and why they do it, uh, but uh, how many people uh, have you actually encountered like this on on the internet personally? Um, I think I'm approaching now um, 80 arrests, in the UK. Over what time period? Over a year. My God. Absolutely. It's absolutely an epidemic. It's an epidemic in this country. It's an epidemic in your country. It's all over the world. Um, And the reason for that is the internet. It is easy, easy access for these people. It's easy access to children. Um, And that's how they operate. They operate behind a keyboard and they think they're safe, but they're not, because I can guarantee you, if they are talking to children, we are watching them, and we will come and get them, and we will hand the evidence and themselves over to the police. It sounds like a full-time job. (laughs) It's your life. It actually takes over your life. 80 Um, 80 arrests in a year. 
Yes, yes, My yes. God. I mean, yeah, it takes over your life. Um, right. I'm doing this. I'm doing this from the first minute I wake up to when I go to bed, and that goes for every team in this country. Mm. They are all superstars. All. All of them, mm. you know, they give their lives up. The dedication that they give to this is the passion is unbelievable. Yeah, uh, eighty people arrested, uh, with the intention, at least, uh, of abusing child rapists, uh, quite possibly. Uh, that uh, that is uh, beyond belief. Uh, uh, how many people are involved in the group? Um, there's roughly about ten of us. Um, some of them will be decoys. Um, some of them will be trackers. Uh, we've got admin and the founder, which puts it all together, puts all the things together. So there's about 10 of us. But mm. if you bear in mind that there's probably, I would say there's probably about 200 teams in the UK. Okay. So you're, you're, you're talking about, yeah. I'm sure the people of Dramiskin are indebted to you, but uh, I'm sure that's uh, right across this island uh, and uh, across Britain for that matter. Uh, I, I, I was, I'm really taken aback uh, as you leading to the arrests, uh, that your work has led to the arrests uh, of 80 people over su- such a short period of time. Uh, does it disturb you? Does it keep you awake at night? Yes, it does. It does. I mean, some of the images you receive, you know, they're horrific. You know, um, it's just it's just mind-boggling that um, they're allowed to get away with this on the internet because the internet is not police. It's not policed. It's not policed enough. I mean, these, these firms make billions and billions in profit on mm. the internet. You know, they should be ploughing some of that back in to police it properly. Then teams like us wouldn't have to exist. But as as we stand at the moment, I look upon every team in this country as an essential service, an essential service for protecting children because no one else is doing it. No mm. one else is doing it. The police are so overstretched. Mm. Um, under-resourced. They just can't cope with the explosion of paedophilia on the internet. It's Mm. absolutely horrendous. Okay, so if there's 80 arrests, I take it that means 80 men, and I presume it's all men, 80 men turned up to meet somebody uh, and then were arrested uh, and you had the evidence to show. But I I take it that there's a a lot more people sitting behind keyboards fantasising. Oh, yes, yes, fantasise. And, and the danger with that, Michael, is um, those fantasies then, then become reality. They take the next step. You know, it always starts off with a fantasy for these people. Mm. And, and they go to the next step and they actually turn up to meet and uh, abuse a child. You know, so if we can stop them at that first step, you know, that would be fantastic. And that's, that is what we're trying to do. Stop them at the first step so they don't actually reach that point. Because when they reach that point, that li- that child's life is absolutely destroyed. Mm. It's, it's with that, that child until the day they die. Mm. These people, the, the, the internet needs to be policed. It needs to be funded properly, you know, and it's not. Uh, there was a, a very interesting thing that you said, uh, and uh, I'm sure people can uh, find your video uh, on the internet, and you've <laughs> many videos of the 80 arrests, uh, I suppose, but the one with uh, Declan Power of interest to us locally, uh, that you uh, put all of the evidence to him, and he said very little in response, uh, and then you said something to him uh, about his work, and he opened up all of a, a sudden, and you said, it's funny how you're talking when we ask you about your work, but when we ask you about raping a child, uh, you've nothing to say. Uh, would that be typical of these fellas? 
Yes, very typical, very typical. Um, as soon as you ask them if they've got an interest in sexual interest in children, they all say no. Every one of them says no, obviously, for obvious reasons. I don't want to admit it on camera. But what they don't understand is that we have every message that they have sent from the first message to the last message. We have all the pictures. We have all the digital evidence. So there's no getting out of it, you know. But they mm. all deny it. All of them deny it, you know, because they don't want to incriminate themselves on camera. Mm. But like you say, as soon as you start talking about another subject, they're quite happy to, mm. quite happy to talk, mm. you know, just, just to deflect yeah. away from them. Well, we all have a, a duty to protect our children, uh, and this undoubtedly is a, a very dangerous man, uh, and we're all very grateful that he, he's in prison thank over you. there now, and thank you for that. Um, there were reports that he was a healthcare worker. He, you, you asked him if he was a paramedic. He said he was an engineer or something. Uh, have you been able to establish, uh, or, or do you know with any degree of certainty, uh, what he was working at here? Yeah, we're almost certain he was an engineer. He actually told the child that he was a paramedic. That was a lie. So uh, that that was... A lot of these people try to um, give themselves important jobs to actually impress the child. That's That's part of the grooming process. You know, so the child is in awe of them, and uh, yeah, that's part of the grooming process. They all they all give themselves important jobs, but he he was he wasn't he was an engineer. I think he drove he drove to and from the pharmacy and things like that to pick prescriptions up. That's all. That's all he was. Well, now he's a prisoner, um, but not for long. He is not, not for long, long enough. He, and that that is disgraceful because Michael is going to be out in twelve months. Mm. And, um, his what kind of a sentence do you think he should have got, uh, Harry? Um, I think, in my opinion, um, sexual communications with a child should be at least, at least five years. Actually turning up to rape and abduct a child should mean life, whether it's a real child or not, because the intention was there. It was in his brain to do that. And um, unfortunately to say, it will always be in his brain. That will never leave him. That will never leave him. So he should be in prison for life, you know, to protect children. That's the most important thing, is protecting children from the horrors that these people put on them. OK. I think like a, a lot of people listening to us uh, this morning, I'm in awe uh, at the work uh, that you and your colleagues have been doing in the child Thank protection you. group that you call Secrets and Lies Confronted. Uh, and I, I think a lot of people will be very happy that that child protection group is there uh, to make sure that fewer children end up in the hands of fewer men like Declan Power. Harry, thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Harry Taylor there from Secrets and Lies Confronted. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the Irish Times reports uh, today that more than 100 people rallied outside the Dáil yesterday in protest over a scheme which is being used to freeze childcare fees to parents. Let's hear a little bit more uh, about this uh, protest. Elaine Dunn is a chairperson of uh, the Federation of Early Childhood Providers. A very good morning to you, Elaine, and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. This is a, a 220 one million euro scheme. What's the problem with it? Okay, just to correct one thing, I know the Irish Times, I've been on to them, there was over 700 providers out in the streets from all over the country yesterday, um, fighting for their rights to survive and have a viable business. Okay. So, the problem is with the um, ECC scheme, a lot of providers have lost some of their funding. So, these providers are actually solely uh, government funded. Mm. So, we... 
they don't have viability, they don't have sustainability, and a lot of them are starting to close down their doors. Mm. Okay, we don't know how many because when we've asked too slow, we've asked the department how many, and they won't give us the answer. Right. So it's a little bit confusing at the moment. So we went and talked to the streets three times now. We've done three protests and asking. 700 people, yes, there you estimate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, no, okay. absolutely. Mm, the guards yeah. told us over 700. For the okay, uh, the guard estimate. I was going to say, usually these figures are, are from the Guardian and are quite often disputed, but that's the guard estimate of 700. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. Oh, but there was definitely, look, there was a lot more mm. than 100. Yeah. Okay, sure, yeah, yeah. My apologies yeah. for that. Uh, no, 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 yeah, no yeah, but you yeah, wouldn't yeah. know. No, 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 no. There's no problem. I yeah. just wanted to say it so yeah. people don't think it's, you know, out of 4,000 providers, there's only 100 of us out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more coming each time uh, to these protests because they feel very let down, very disrespected mm. um, by the government and by the department. So they announced a new core funding that's coming in. Mm. And it's closing services. It's absolutely closing services, Dan. And we went out and took to the streets looking for 76 euros capitation per child through the ECC scheme, an extra 30 million to be put into that scheme. That's the Early Childhood Care Scheme. Yeah. Care, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. That's, that scheme, as we all know, it's there for 12 years. Mm. And in 12 years, we had one pay increase of 7%. Mm. Okay, so we had been struggling anyway, and the department knew this. We've been struggling for years, but people, we were allowed to charge a little bit of extra, say, for an optional extra. We were doing baking or a trip or different things that you may have been doing with the children. Yeah. They have now stopped all of that. Right. So we're literally down to the penny on the wire with what they're giving us. Mm. And this is not enough. Obviously, like if you're getting 4.30 an hour to look after your child and you've got three staff in the yeah. room, how are you going to cover all your costs? Mm. So the providers are doing without wages. I mean, they do without wages, and I'm not, this is no word of a lie. They mm. do not get paid during the summer, and okay. they do not get wages at Christmas time and Easter time because they're paying how they pay for yeah. stuff. I, I, I don't uh, doubt that for a moment, uh, Elaine. Uh, yeah. I, I find it very hard to understand. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I think uh, a lot of people, yeah. do, these schemes are, well, are there to make things difficult for people to understand. Well, it, it, I mean, the cost of childcare is so expensive now that I imagine that some people are, are making decisions about whether to have children or, or not, uh, or, or whether it's work or not. Uh, and I'd imagine that there's definitely people who are deciding to stay at home uh, because uh, the childcare is too expensive. Uh, it's through the roof. And I, I think any parent would love the idea that the fees will be frozen, if not reduced, but frozen at least is a good start. But at the same time, there's no point to it if there's nowhere no. to, to bring no. your child. So, 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 so why, why, why is it so expensive if you're running at a loss? Well, I, I might just point out a couple of things here. Okay, so there are a lot of small full-day care services out there that have not changed their fees since 2017. Okay, so you're looking at the larger services that are upping their fees every single year. But we don't do that. I haven't touched my fees in five years, six years mm. to my parents. And I, I'm, I'm full all the time. I have a very high-quality service here in Dublin. Most services are high-quality across this country. To agree right now for my business to freeze my fees, my accountants have warned me I will be closed and bankrupt within two years. I will be gone. And I look after 86 children and I have another service as well that I've just bought over. So I can't sign up to a scheme that's going to close my business down. So for those small services, we had spoken to the department before core funding was announced. And we asked them to consider some kind of top up or something for those providers who have done the right thing by their parents for their last five or six years. Mm. We are not the mass chains. We don't up our fees all the time. You know, so that's where the problem is. 
The department had said they would look at it and they didn't. So now we cannot agree to our, our fees being frozen if it's going to damage our businesses. So we can't take the core funding. Hmm. You know, so it is one, I, I'm sure everybody well, nothing else is thinks we're being greedy. We're not being greedy. Mm. We're being realistic. We want to keep our doors open. And my God, we don't want our parents paying astronomical fees yeah. to any service. Okay. And I really mean that. Mm. Huge respect to all of our parents and the children that come in through our yeah. doors. Yeah. But where does it leave us? Yeah, but where do the fees go? I suppose is the question, and, and, and okay. I don't, I, I don't, I don't think you're greedy, and I'm not suggesting that. I'm asking you honestly: How is it so expensive? How can you be paying a thousand or two thousand euro for childcare, and at the same time, childcare workers are paid so low, and childcare providers are saying they're running at a loss, if not just breaking even? You haven't increased your rates, you say, since 2017, but I'm sure nothing else is frozen in that time everybody knows the cost of electricity and heat and everything else has gone through the roof yeah absolutely and we know that the rate of inflation is so high actually we're the highest in Europe um, is Ireland at 9.6% at the moment but one of the things that um, has come out through the Federation so we run a number of surveys where we're continuously doing surveys so for us we look after small and medium services across the country and all of us are paying really really good wages to our staff we don't pay the 10, 50 or the 11 90 we pay well over that okay mm. and we pay and we look after our staff very well and there's pension schemes and there's other things there as well for our staff and we do pay sick pay by the way we do actually pay our, our staff so we do look after our staff really really well mm. and that's why our staff don't leave we look after them they stay with us yeah. you respect people and they're not going to leave yeah. so all of my staff have been with me now 12 years Mm. or longer that's fabulous you know, yeah, and, and, it's great for the and, children and, of course absolutely yeah. because mm. if there's too much change for children obviously that quality drops mm. if you see lots of teachers leaving you have to ask yourself why that's happening why are our, our staff can continuously turning over yeah. so like at the end of the day our group the Federation of Early Childhood Providers we are doing the right thing by the parents by the child by the staff and yet we're being let down by government and that's the reality. We've been let down by the department very, very badly. I know um, our minister yesterday put out a press release just before we were taken to the streets. And it was the most disrespectful press release I've ever seen. It was a great yarn that the department spun yesterday. You know, but they really, they affected a lot of providers around the street yesterday with their press release. Okay, they said the threat of flash closers uh, with no notice to parents uh, is entirely regrettable and will do significant damage to the trust of parents uh, and the trust that they have in services. I don't agree with that at all. I I think we've made a lot of our parents across the the country very aware of the situation. And we've continuously sent out correspondence to all providers letting parents know what's going on. And yes, parents will unfortunately now be hit with closures with flash closures and there's nothing we can do about that because our government are not listening Mm. and there's more and more and more providers coming out onto the streets it started off as a very small protest it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and yesterday we had staff and parents and grandparents out on that street with us Mm. you know so people are starting to listen and Look, we don't want to close the door. We I, never yeah. want to affect anyone, you know. Uh, I, and don't, it, it, I, I don't know if people are, are starting to listen, and uh, I say that with the greatest of respect to you, Elaine. Um, I, I'm not sure how many people listening to us uh, this morning will remember Joan Burton, uh, mm-hmm. let alone what Joan Burton said uh, when she was uh, the Minister for Social Protection. She was uh, going to uh, ensure that we'd have a Scandinavian uh, style 
of uh, childcare in uh, this country. Uh, Isn't it wonderful? Yeah, yeah. That's it, wonderful. In Scandinavian uh, countries, I, I, in Scandinavian countries, you 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 don't pay or pay little or nothing for childcare. The people who provide the childcare are well paid, and the childcare providers uh, don't worry about it because uh, it, it's uh, through the state and so on. And no, absolutely, no yeah. Yeah. absolutely, yeah. and and they are highly taxed on their wages yeah. as well. And and to be fair, I worked in Sweden for a couple of years mm. in, in facilities over there. And it's an amazing uh, system they have running, um, yeah. I, and I really mean that. Uh, and, you, I, and, and you'll know that it's not just uh, mainstream children uh, who are in childcare who, who get wonderful service at little or no cost. Uh, the, 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 the highest uh, category of special needs children, uh, there's no problem getting childcare for them either. In Sweden or here? In Sweden, in Scandinavian countries. Yeah, and here, like mm. we, we have the AIM scheme, which we actually got more funding put into that mm. in, in the last uh, month or so, which is very, very much welcome. To let me tell you, mm. but um, we're still miles behind. I mean, the oh, point, the, the point I'm making is that this is not rocket science. Uh, I was talking about Joan Burton five years ago, or whatever the case was. Uh, I mean, yeah. we, we've been talking about this since the 1970s, since women started going to work, uh-huh. uh, and here we are, 50 years on, uh, and we have and this ridiculous. Sorry. It's still going on. Yeah, it's a ridiculous situation. And, and there was a study done where they brought, I think it was 10 providers over to uh, Norway into mm. services and, and they looked at everything that was going on and the report that came back was that that model would not work over here because there isn't enough funding. So we were at 0.3% of GDP uh, over the last year and that has now dropped back to 0.1% for our funding. So we're, we're back at the so, lowest right, so point in the EU. So we're going backwards. Uh, the yeah, gr- we're, we're going backwards. Your, your, your protest yesterday with 700 people uh, was uh, undoubtedly uh, to send a message to the government before the 27th of September. Uh, I presume you'll probably uh, be doing more to try and convince them to do more for childcare in the budget when they announce it on the 27th. Uh, the government uh, has already said they're going to do a lot for childcare, but uh, I take it uh, that you've got serious concerns. No, absolutely we have. But we have our own budget submission going out to media next Wednesday. And it's a very substantial uh, budget submission. And I'm hoping the government will listen to what we're saying because we take all of our, our word back from our membership. You know, we, we're not coming out here willy-nilly doing this. We're not going out in the streets for no reason. I mean, there was providers out there yesterday crying with frustration and anxiety of, of how they're going to reopen the doors in September for the ECC scheme and to take in all of the after-school children and everything and to have a viable business at the end of it. I mean, it was the saddest day I've ever seen on the streets. And I mean, look, it's just going to get worse until the, the government start listening. OK. Elaine, thanks for talking to us uh, this morning. Maybe you'll come back and talk Absolutely. to us next Wednesday. Absolutely. Uh, thank, thank you. you indeed. That's uh, Elaine Dunn, Chairperson of uh, the Federation of Early Childhood Providers. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Well, the cost of living is through the roof. Uh, the cost of petrol and diesel really has uh, pushing people to the pin of uh, their collar. If you've any amount of driving to do, you'll certainly know all about it. You probably will have realised as well that the prices have dropped recently. In fact, the price of petrol is down 14% and the price of diesel down 26% since uh, the 1st of July, According to a survey for AA, let's speak uh, to Paddy Cummin, who's head of uh, communications for AA Ireland. A very good morning to you, Paddy, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme. Uh, we were getting used to paying over two euro a litre. It's significantly cheaper now. Yeah, it is, Michael. I mean, it's it's a lot cheaper, but you know, it's it's like we've been conditioned to accept very high prices because 
even the prices that we are at now would have been record prices as recently as March. So that's where the level that we're at now. Now, obviously, the price of a barrel of oil has dropped quite significantly, and it's now less than ninety dollars a barrel. But we are. Um, it's it's been taking some time to come down. There's lots of reasons for that. Um, but but look, it's it, it's going in the right direction. Mm. I don't know if we'll see you know great news. Couple, you know, the thing is as well. The, while supplies have been sort of settled down and people have been uh, oil ref- oil refineries in particular ha- are making much more profits than they used to and that's the, one of the reasons why the prices haven't been coming down as dramatically uh, as they should yeah and that's why uh, the united nations uh, general secretary was asking for something to be done for governments to impose tackets on these uh, immoral additional profits that they were making because they were already making a lot of money now they're making a lot of money on top of the big amounts of money that they were making uh, but that, those uh, drops have resulted in what 186 for petrol 189 for diesel what does that compare to uh, recently well I mean it, we were up at you know we've seen two euros and 20 at, at various stages and um, once you know once we were at the peak in kind of April time but it's about 30 cents cheaper than it was even four or five weeks ago so it's mm. quite a significant drop over the last few weeks Interestingly enough, you know, we do our petrol price surveys across the country. If and and you know, if you if you know Julianstown, which is uh, which is in County Mead, that that seems to be just about the national average. Right. So, so that said, if uh, people want to know roughly what the prices of, of of it is around the country, go drive to Julianstown, and you're just about right. Okay. Um, but but look, we are um, it's, it's better news, and I, I think without having a crystal ball we can say that the prices may settle for a while because what was causing a lot of the fluctuations were was uncertainty. And obviously with the, the war in Ukraine, what countries had to do was start looking around for different supplies and different suppliers. That seems to very much have settled. So while the prices are not great, it, 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 may, it might be that there is a period of the price is being steady for a while and that I suppose gives people a little bit of certainty for some time I think. Okay and uh, of course uh, there's uh, been government assistance uh, they're cutting excise duty what's that doing to all of this? Well look that would have been absorbed almost immediately the, the difficulty with excise duty is that you know in, in this case it was very small what would have been something that would have happened right away at the tills would have been a, a reduction in VAT there doesn't appear to be any appetite to anything uh, in relation to that. Um, there is that there are other taxes that could be looked at, but, mm. uh, you know, from the whisperings I'm hearing, it doesn't look like there will be too much happening in terms of, um, of, of you know, petrol or diesel fuel, maybe something for home heating, but uh, for petrol and diesel, we're not hearing that there might be much uh, in the budget, but w- we'll see. They, what the government is making is an awful lot more on their VAT uh, returns um, for petrol and diesel because it, it's it's multiples of millions more than they expected so there is a windfall there for them Okay you were talking about uh, the cost of a, a barrel of oil crude oil uh, around $90 doesn't really mean much to most of us uh, but a lot of people do watch this sort of thing and I know we were getting texts let's say a month ago from people saying why is it still so expensive at the pumps when the cost of a barrel of oil has dropped but it takes time doesn't it for it to uh, trickle through uh, to what the consumer pays why is that the case? Well, it just it depends on when your local uh, supplier bought their fuel, and then there's a, a chain further along the line of that. So your 
um, it, it's it's a long train process. Mm. But the, the 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 difficulty as well, of course, is that the uh, as I said, the refineries are making in some cases four or five hundred percent more profit than they were, you know, a year or two years ago. So that's accounting for a lot of the price. Uh, increases despite the fact that the oil itself is much cheaper. Okay, so the fact that it was at a six-month low yesterday means that those lower prices, again, still have to come through to us, so we can expect more reductions. Yeah, we would hope to see um, a little bit more of a settling in prices. You know, when you consider that a year ago we were paying sort of 150 160 for fuel with similar enough oil prices, you would hope that we will start to see prices uh, come down again but again um, it's it's a little bit of guesswork. Okay Paddy thank you very much indeed for joining us with some positive news uh, I think uh, it'll be looked on very positively in government circles uh, for that matter uh, given uh, the pressure that has been on people in recent months and hopefully it'll continue to go in that direction. That's uh, Paddy Cummins who's Head of uh, Communications with AA Ireland. Now let me bring us some of uh, the comments that have been coming to us uh, today uh, we'd Gemma in touch uh, about uh, the interview with Harry Taylor from Secrets and Lies confronted after his group confronted Declan Power from Dramiskin who wanted to have sex with a 13-year-old girl before bringing her back to live with him in County Louth. She says, it's just so scary what's going on in this world and in this case in our country and in some of your listeners' cases, their community. You just don't know who is capable of doing this and if they're living beside you. It's an eye-opener in terms of your children being online and who they might be speaking to. Uh, He thought this girl was 13 years of age. It's so frightening. Uh, It is absolutely the case, uh, Gemma, uh, and uh, I think uh, we can all be very thankful that that man uh, is in prison this morning. Paddy Duffy, uh, a couple of messages uh, saying, our little country needs years before we can reverse the social fabric damage that has been done to the country by 11 years of Fine Gael and government, home ownership, rents, health and education. He says Fine Gael has gone so far to the right that it's hard to find them on any discernible equivalence. I've no doubt that they would reduce the dole if they thought they'd get away with it. Bring on an election and show them to the opposition, put them to the opposition benches, he says, for at least the same length of time that they've been in government. Uh, Margaret in touch, she says governments here are great at putting in temporary levies. Remember the PMPA levy put on insurance years ago, it's still there only higher. So I don't expect the temporary USC tax to be abolished. I think our governments need a dictionary to check what word temporary means, what the word temporary means. Uh, They seem to think it means permanent because the levies never seem to get removed once they're brought in. Thanks for that, Margaret. Uh, June in touch saying, good morning. My husband is on an invalidity pension. I work 10 hours a week on a a basic minimum wage. If I get an increase in wages, I lose a a portion of the increase because the rate you get, uh, the rate you can earn, I beg your pardon, the rate you can earn does not uh, go in line with the increase uh, in the minimum wage. It's very unfair. Thank you, June, for that. Uh, Somebody else in touch with us. This is Cahill in Mornington who says, you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. All these retail and hospitality businesses need to pay people properly and then they'll get the staff. One well-known supermarket chain locally can't get or keep staff. 
Why, he says. Uh, he reckons it's because they pay €7 euro an hour. That's one of uh, the main reasons for the staff shortage. Thanks uh, for that, uh, Cahill. Of course, uh, I don't know uh, if that would be in line with the minimum wage. Um, but I, I think 70%, I think, at certain ages. I presume that's... Uh, what that relates to. Uh, Margaret uh, saying, I, I think the people that saved that poor 13-year-old girl from such an horrific fate should be so proud of themselves and admiringly working with the police. Hard to imagine these evil people got away with this type of evil 40 years ago. Indeed, it was covered up. Horrific stuff, says Margaret. Thank you, uh, Margaret. Uh, perhaps they did save uh, a 13-year-old girl uh, from that experience but there never was a 13-year-old to begin with, Margaret. I'm not sure if we explained that correctly. Uh, what happened was uh, we were speaking with Harry. Harry and his team were on the internet pretending to be a 13-year-old girl. Uh, this fella, Declan Power, 58 years of age, thought that this person on the internet was a 13-year-old girl, but it was Harry uh, and his friends, and he started sending messages to the 13-year-old girl. Uh, they said, oh, hi, uh, how's it going? And one thing led to another. The next thing, uh, Declan Power uh, travelled from Dramiskin uh, over to the UK uh, to get this girl, to have sex with her, to bring him, uh, to bring her back here uh, uh, and to live uh, out of sight from uh, the neighbours because of the big fence that he had built at his house in Dramiskin. Uh, another text uh, that it's a WhatsApp message that comes to us uh, from somebody who says, Michael, the Minister for Health wants another term in office. He says he's doing a good job and he's more to do uh, like Navin Hospital, says our listener. Thanks uh, for that. Uh, speaking of the fence, my God, um, I think uh, somebody has sent us a, a photograph. Uh, they say it's the home of Declan Power. Uh, and uh, there's a, a normal sort of lollipop fence uh, and then a fence on top of that, which, I don't know, it's uh, it's uh, up to the roof of the house. Um, it's a bungalow, uh, but it's uh, up uh, to the roof of the house. And uh, our caller says this is his house uh, and that's the fence on top of a fence, uh, the dirty vile creature. Uh, well, if that is the fence, and I can very well believe it is the fence, uh, you certainly wouldn't see over the fence from the other side. Uh, and this uh, then shows you a, a yard, uh, and that is uh, where Declan Power was fantasizing of this 13 year old girl walking around naked, waiting for him to come home after work in the evening. It's, it's bizarre what goes on in the minds of people. And that's the thing you don't know what's uh, going on people's minds, uh, and they could be living beside you. Um, somebody in touch with us uh, about uh, the cost of diesel saying if it's a long train process for prices to drop at the pumps how come it's a very short train process for prices to rise at the pumps sometimes two or three times a day thank you indeed uh, for sending your whatsapp message to us today and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us so far Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, we'll all be looking to the government and what it announces in the budget on the 27th of September so that we have more money in our pockets as prices continue to soar, but uh, very little value to that money if those prices continue to soar. And indeed, businesses uh, will be looking to government to keep those prices down and indeed to support them because of the additional costs that they also face. Let's speak to Neil MacDonald, 
who's Chief Executive of ISME, the Irish Small and Medium Enterprises Association. A very good morning to you, Neil, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. What are you hoping to hear from government on the 27th? Well, Michael, the, the inflation problems uh, that afflict um, the average citizen, the average um, punter in the street, largely affect small businesses as well, uh, especially from an energy point of view, um, but also those businesses that are in the hospitality uh, sector, they're affected by all the issues you hear on the, um, on the food side, whether grain, cooking oil and, and so on. Um, so those businesses, um, on the one hand, are struggling to pay for those higher input costs, while at the same time, you know, the, the, the very inflation problem we're talking about, you know, those businesses can't make money if they can't pass on those cost increases mm. to customers. and they're, they're adding to inflation. So we recognize that most especially at the lower end of the income scale, um, certain uh, areas of people in the population need direct supports from government. It's also the case, though, that a lot of SMEs are in, uh, incurring cost increases that they're not going to be, whether they can pass them on or not is almost irrelevant. Uh, they'll just make the inflation problem worse. So we are looking for the, the government to intervene, most particularly on the energy cost um, side. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, governments are doing this in the EU, in, in Austria, mm. uh, in France, in Germany and Spain. So we are looking for intervention to at least uh, mitigate the cost increases in, in energy. Okay. Uh, so that uh, you can uh, afford to keep the lights on uh, as such, but your workers will be coming to you saying they can't uh, afford to keep the lights on, so they'll be looking for wage increases or for a, a way of affording their increased costs. Uh, so should that come by way of wage increases or through cuts in taxes? Well, you know, the old social, social partnership model that we had up until 2009 was predicated on wage uh, moderation in exchange for tax cuts. Um, unfortunately, what we've seen over, over the intervening years, and we saw the you know, partnership ended in 2009, um, but we've seen what, what they call, what economists call creeping taxation. In other words, we have a, a very low income rate at which point you go on to the marginal or the high rate of tax. We don't necessarily, our, our marginal rate of tax at 40% isn't very high by European standards, but the fact you go on to it at 36,800 euros is very low by European standards. So, so that is an area that the government could directly help people, most especially those on, on the lowest incomes, because, you know, it's the, the people on, you know, 33, 34, 35,000 euro. They, they face going on to a marginal rate of 40% e- even if they get a pay rise for their, for their employers. Mm. So we see that uh, marginal rate cut off as, uh, as one area that the government could intervene and give money directly back. And uh, many ways to skin a cat, obviously, uh, and the yeah. two that are being talked about is this 30% uh, tax band, a, a new and third band or indexation of the bands. Which would you prefer? Uh, simple answer, indexation. Mm. So <clears throat> where that 30% proposal is very clever in that what happens when, you, as a worker when you hit 36,800, you go from losing 20 cents on every additional euro you make 
to losing 40 cents on every additional euro you make. So it does appear that some uh, bright sparks in the Department of Finance are proposing this 30% rate where you'd, you'd only lose uh, 30 cents uh, in every extra euro you'd make. Now, we would prefer to see maintenance of the of the standard rate, the 20% rate, until a much higher income level. I mean, by comparison with, say, the UK, they have a 40% uh, tax rate, but you don't go on to it until you earn £50,000. And, and in Germany, you have to earn over uh, €250,000 before you go on to their higher rate of tax. Mm. So, so we tax... Uh, workers at the marginal rate at a very low level of income. Okay, you have to fund this, of course, because it, it means less revenue uh, for the exchequer. Uh, and there is this discussion today uh, about welfare rates uh, and if uh, there should be this 15 euro, if it's going to be a 15 euro increase for welfare recipients, if that should also be paid to the unemployed. What do you think of that? Well, well, well that, that's, a very, that's a very interesting point, Michael, because we don't view these things as, as one or the other. And when you say you have to fund you know, moving uh, moving the tax bans. Don't forget that <clears throat> when you continually punish workers, and, and what we've had is this, what economists call creeping taxation. We've left the tax bans alone while income has risen over the last number of years. That's the reason that our income tax take has ballooned over the last number of years. So yeah, as people earn more <clears throat> There's a, a really high marginal tax take on them, uh, up to 52%, and indeed 55% for high-earning self-employed. So um, the difficulty with doing that, Michael, is you're, and, and especially if you're going to increase core social welfare rates, is you're actually encouraging people to say, you know what, at, at around this €35,000, I'm actually better off financially opting into the social protection system. The main reason for that is you lose access to social and affordable housing in the cities at an income of €35,000. Uh, and in uh, extra urban areas around County Loud, you lose that at 30000 mm. And then in the country, you lose that at 25000 Now, that's a very, very significant punishment for earning extra money. That's that's that that on its own has to be looked at. Yeah, well, I take it that will be adjusted, will it not? In the budget, uh, it certainly should be, given that the cost of living is increasing, and you'd expect everybody's income to increase to some degree. To of course, and there, uh, we absolutely accept that mm. people, you know, is, is the most vulnerable to uh, being at risk of poverty are those on on um, on social protection uh, um, rates. So we know that they have to increase, but we also have to be very careful how much we raise them. And just, I don't want to bore your listeners with too many figures, but we got our unemployment rate down to 3.9% in the year 2001 when we were at kind of full Celtic Tiger unemployment levels. Um, We increased... Uh, our social protection rates that year in the budget that year from 98 euros a week to 118 euros a week and we had a 13% increase in unemployment in 2002 and that's the point that we're making there are people who 
for good financial reasons, deliberately drop out of the workforce if social protection rates increase. So we have to be very careful how much we increase them by now. Okay. Uh, Would you be opposed to increases in the region of 15 or 20 euro? Well, look, we are seeing a 9% inflation rate at the moment. So that's sort of within the margin of error for there. But our, our preference would be to target those who are on the the, the, the far more means-tested uh, ones, you know, such mm. as the medical card or such as the fuel allowance. But we know that core social uh, welfare rates are going to have to go up. We certainly wouldn't want them to go up by more than that, Michael. Okay, well, we're, we're at record uh, employment rates. We're at full employment, really, aren't we? 4.2% or something like that. Yes. Uh, 190,000 people unemployed in the country, uh, and many of them in between jobs and the reasons for them being unemployed or so. Uh, but 15,000 people unemployed for 10 years and more. Uh, should they be looked on in a, a different category? Well, you know, they make up a very significant proportion of of, of that unemployment market. And yes, I mean, in our pre-budget submission, we've done a thing called the Jobs Kill Zone, where we look at the basically the financial inducements to stay out of the workforce most particularly uh, access to the medical card uh, and to social and affordable housing. Mm. And we feel the only way that, you know, those people aren't staying out of the workforce because they're lazy or they're indolent. They're doing so because it pays them to do so. They're making a financially rational choice. And we really do have to look at the interaction between our tax and our social welfare system to understand why that cohort in particular haven't had a job in 10 years, most especially, Michael, as you say, when we're at full employment. Mm. There is a job now for everybody who wants a job. And there's so people who there's people who, who can't work or, 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 or will never be able to work, uh, whether that's for mental health problems or, or whatever the case may be. But uh, I was speaking to Philip Bryan of the Irish Independent this morning. He was talking about research published yesterday by Mason Hayes and Curran and the Irish Management Institute, which shows 30% of businesses say they're uh, short of staff. Absolutely. It's a a recurrent complaint we're getting now from ISME members. They simply can't get uh, 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 people into employment. Um, All sorts of reasons, including, you know, one of the reasons we can't, for example, hire people from abroad is the cost of accommodation. But, you know, we are um, pretty much at full employment now, Michael, and it is exceptionally difficult to get people uh, into a full-time job. Okay, we leave it there for the moment. Neil, thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today. Thank you. Neil MacDonald is Chief Executive of ISME, the Irish Small and Medium Enterprises Association. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, we've been talking a lot this morning about keeping the lights on and how many people may not be able to afford to keep the lights on. That's one thing, uh, but even if you can afford it, there's the prospect that you won't be able to turn the lights on because there won't be any power. We've already had a a number of amber alerts uh, this year. A possible solution to that problem is hydrogen. At least that's according to Hydrogen Ireland. Paul McCormick is a a leading member of Hydrogen Ireland and uh, joins us on the line. And a very good morning to you, Paul, uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. I've heard a lot of talk uh, about hydrogen. I'm not sure I really understand what it is, if I'm to be completely honest. Uh, I, I know it's a, a way uh, of fueling 
whatever it is that uh, needs to be powered in a, a clean uh, way, clean energy, uh, doesn't give off emissions. I think it produces water when it's used uh, to produce energy. Uh, but why are we not using it uh, if, if it is uh, so environmentally friendly and uh, the solution, as you suggest, uh, to some of the problems that we're facing in this country? Michael, as we, good morning to yourself and your listeners. As we face into the, the challenges that the climate crisis brings us and the energy crisis, it's looking at options that will carry Ireland forward, but options that meet our green credentials. And hydrogen is one of those green energy vectors. By using the renewables that we have currently online and those planned online, rather than curtail them, use that to produce hydrogen to meet our energy demands, but also meet our energy storage demands and use that hydrogen in a smart way to give Ireland that independence of energy that they require. Where do we get hydrogen from, though? We can take the renewable power that we currently have and others, use the uh, process of electrolysis, which splits water H2O into hydrogen and oxygen. The hydrogen then can be captured and used in, as an energy source, and the oxygen then can be used as other energy opportunities. So therefore, we're able to create our own energy from our own renewables, from our own resources, and create that pathway to energy independence that Ireland requires. Right. Uh, and I understand uh, from your note that the government is talking about increasing the amount of hydrogen we produce here by 40% by using uh, offshore wind. The government at the minute are looking at developing the hydrogen strategy. It's out, it's out for consultation. In the, la- the last budget announcement, they've increased the announcement for renewables to 2 gigawatts. That's going to create a hydrogen pathway in Ireland and give Ireland energy opportunities and energy choices. And at the minute, we're fully dependent on imported fuels and on fossil fuels. That pathway has to change to meet the climate crisis, but also to meet our energy crisis. And as you said in the introduction, make sure we have security of energy supply, that the amber alerts that were announced last week don't progress and that we're able then to meet our energy needs in the country to become in that self-sufficient way. And if we continue as we are, they uh, will continue uh, to be a a problem. We're going to have uh, these ongoing threats if we don't have a blackout. If we continue as we are, we're heading the wrong pathway, and everybody recognises that. Right. We can't be be dependent on somebody else to meet our energy needs. Self-sufficiency in all walks of life is the best pathway to take, and hydrogen and other green energy vectors give us that opportunity and give us that freedom of choice. Okay. Um, where are we at in terms of using hydrogen? I mean, I can't install hydrogen heating in my house, can I? We can't install hydrogen heating yet in the house, but if we plan for the future, that will be an option that we have. The Dublin bus have two buses on trials in Dublin at the minute. Hydrogen buses manufactured by Wright Bus and Ballymena, powered by hydrogen, reducing the CO2 footprint of transport. As we move down that energy platform, and make hydrogen more readily available for transport, for industry, for heating and mobility, we then open up all of the other options. We can't suddenly flick the switch from fossil fuels to something new tonight because we don't have the availability. It's going to be a progression towards hydrogen and other net zero fuels. But it has to be that just transition to net zero so that no communities are left behind, Mm. no industry is left behind, and we have no stranded assets. So it's a progressive pathway that the government are looking at as I said, the hydrogen strategy is out for mm. consultation. It's an integrated green energy strategy that the minister is leading on. And as we drive towards that, 
it's looking at all of the options that give Ireland choice. Am I, am I right in thinking we have to make hydrogen? It, it, it's not uh, something that is found naturally. Uh, you produce it from offshore wind or nuclear power, if you have such a thing, or solar power, or, or natural gas. You can produce hydrogen from any energy source, so as long as the energy source is green, we call it green hydrogen. Right. So therefore, it's got a zero CO2 footprint, it meets our climate conditions, it meets our climate goals for 2030 and 2050, but also helps us meet our energy goals mm. to become energy independent because the renewables we use within the supply chain for hydrogen will come from onshore and offshore wind, tidal and wave and solar and let Ireland develop their own pathway to energy independence. Mm. But if you were to produce it from natural gas, let's say, would it still be carbon neutral? If we produce from natural gas, it's waste because natural gas has an energy content in itself. What we can do with the hydrogen is mix the hydrogen with the natural gas in the current state-of-the-art pipelines and start in- increasing the hydrogen content in the gas supply to the houses. And that decreases the overall CO2 footprint of the natural gas we currently use because we're blending a green constituent into that mix. Okay. Uh, explain to me um, what that would mean for gas heating in homes uh, and uh, if it was to be used, how that would impact on these carbon neutral uh, systems that we're talking about uh, with heat pumps and so on. If we introduce it into the gas system, the current uh, gas burners that are used in the houses can be modified to accommodate the hydrogen molecules. It's a slight modification. Any system being introduced now moving forward should be hydrogen ready. The likes of Siemens and the likes of Bosch are producing hydrogen ready fuel cells at the minute that can be switched to hydrogen from natural gas automatically without any additional costs. That's part of the planning process. Mm. So if we look at the the gas network we have in Ireland as an opportunity to distribute the hydrogen, to mix the hydrogen with natural gas, and provide that pathway to net zero. We can't do it overnight, mm. but we can start blending hydrogen into the natural gas through the distribution network, okay. use it for home heating, use it for mobility, use it for transport. But you can't build a house with a gas boiler in it now. You can build a house with a hydrogen-ready gas boiler in it now, which will meet the CO2 footprint, right. because therefore you're meeting that, that ne- the, the climate targets that we set. Mm. Okay. Uh, are they not the same thing? They're different things, are they? I thought the gas boilers could, uh, or it's assumed they could carry hydrogen in years to come. They will carry hydrogen in years to come, but they need, the current ones are there would need slight changes and modifications, as mm. in the jets to burn the hydrogen with the molecules are slightly different, but okay. no, no massive difference. Okay. There's a, a public consultation. Government want to hear from people about this, obviously. Yes, the public consultation is out. The department have that call out there and welcoming people's input because it's how we shape. Ireland's energy needs moving forward, how we meet the needs of community and this industry in tandem and make sure we have a, that just transition to net zero. Okay, Paul, we have to leave it there. We're out of time, but thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us. Paul McCormick is a leading member of Hydrogen Ireland. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 87 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.